It's cold, it's early, but happy Mother's Day. Hope you're staying warm. You know, one thing I love so much about the Bible is that because it's the inspired Word of God, even though its stories are thousands of years old, they're still relevant for us today. So what I want to do this morning is go to 1 Kings 17, to a story of a mother that I think a lot of us can learn something about. You know, before we get to our story though, I think we need some background. And one of the major characters in our story this morning is Elijah, and he's a major prophet in the Bible. Somebody who spoke out really powerfully against the idol worship that was going on in Israel at the time. And the thing about Elijah is that he was early on in the ministry when he was at this story. And God had sent him to a brook where uh, he was supposed to receive food and water from the Lord because there was a drought that he prophesied. There was going to be a famine in the land. And so God essentially was uber-eating him bread and meat on every single day. The thing about Elijah is though, that because he was a prophet of God, when he said it, it happened. And when he prophesied that drought, well, eventually that brook dried up. And so God sends him on this mission to go to Zarephath, to meet a widow that he's uh, appointed to give him uh, some water and some bread. Somebody who is going to sustain Elijah for the rest of his ministry. So let's hold it right there. Let's think about that. So God, you want Elijah to do what? You want him to take from a widow in the middle of a famine and a drought, God. You want him to take from a widow who no less has lost her husband, but also is definitely struggling. I can hear the ancient Israelites listening to this passage and turning their heads right now. The records are scratching and they're all confused as to why God would do this. That is crazy. In the middle of a drought, you're going to ask Elijah to live off the generosity of somebody who has nothing. Yet God asks him to do that. So Elijah, he goes and does this, and the situation is way worse than we expected. When he gets there, he finds the widow, just like the Lord had commanded him, and she is gathering sticks. And he asks her, hey, can I get a drink of water? And she says, sure. But then he goes on and asks her, you know what, while you're getting that water, get me something to eat too. And she says, you know what, this is it. That's way too much. Because not only are you asking me for something to eat, I have nothing to eat already. In fact, I have so little to eat that I'm just going to make the last of it and I am ready to die. You ever get to a friend's house where they've asked you for some help? And maybe they said, you know, there's a leak in my basement. And you get there and it's like a foot and a half of water in the basement. Yeah, well, this is that thing where he gets there and not only is the situation bad, she's a widow, it's even worse. She's ready to die. She's got nothing left. In fact, because she's picking up sticks, it tells us that she can't even afford firewood.
So here she is at the end of her line. She's got nothing left, no hope, no hope for a future even. She's ready to die and a stranger from a foreign country comes and asks her for the last little bit she has. I mean, I'm surprised that she doesn't take one of those sticks she was gathering and poke him. My goodness, the gall of this man. Yet he's doing this. And this might be how you feel about God today. You know, you feel like you've come to the end of your line. Maybe you're fed up with this lockdown. You're not sure what to do with your kids anymore. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one, a child, a loss of a pregnancy, the loss of a spouse, whatever it is you're gr grieving. And you feel like God is asking you for more, asking you to trust him more. How could he? How dare he? Yet he continues to do this. Fortunately though, our passage doesn't end here. In verse 14, it says, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it, and bring it to me, and afterward make me something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. See, what Elijah, who's speaking for God really, is saying here is, I see your struggle. I know what you need and I see what you need, but I'm asking you to take a step and in this case, a leap of faith. See, that's sometimes how it works for us with God. God is asking us to take a step of faith for us and he will provide for us. In James 1, 2 and 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And see, God had a plan for her to make her perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He has a plan to provide the relief that you need in this time, but he needs you to take a step of faith because it's in that step of faith that he is perfecting you, completing you, so that you might lack in nothing. So beyond all reason, she goes and she does this. Uh, and Lo and behold, verse 15 and 16, it says, And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. See, in taking a little step of faith towards God, or in this case, a big leap of faith towards God, he demonstrates his faithfulness towards her. His plan for her was always greater than just her providing sustenance and food for Elijah. His plan was to reveal how faithful he is to her. And that's how it is with us sometimes. God is giving us an opportunity to put our faith in him so that we can also experience how faithful he is towards us. How do we know that God is going to be faithful towards us? When we read these stories of how he's faithful to the people before us, he's faithful to us every time we put our trust in him and he will be faithful to us in this circumstance as well. Charles Spurgeon writes of this widow, she must be a woman of faith. She must make the little cake first and afterward she shall have the multiplication of the meal and of the oil. 
So the grace of God does not choose men to sleep and wake up in heaven, nor choose them to live in sin and find themselves absolved at last. No, the sovereign electing grace of God chooses us to repentance, to faith, and afterwards to holiness of living, to Christian service, to zeal, to devotion. So what Spurgeon is saying here is that God doesn't want us to live these easy, untested lives. He wants us to put our faith in him and he will show us how faithful to us he is. When we put our faith in him, he provides the relief that we need. But see, God's not done with her story yet. In fact, he's far from done. The story goes on. Verse 17 says, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, Why have you gone against me, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? So just when we thought the story was going to wrap up, that we would be able to tie the story up in a nice little bow and it would be a happily ever after, guy gets this double whammy out and hits her with this huge blow where she's not only lost her only child, she also has lost her hope for a future. See, she's a widow, right? So she doesn't have much to begin with. Her child would represent all that she has, all that she has right now, and also all that she has to hope for. In her child, she would see her hope for the future, a hope for a future generation and a hope for a continuing prosperity. You know, if you're a mom today, you might be familiar with this kind of emotion or you might be able to relate to this kind of emotion. You know, the loss of a child and all the preciousness and the deep emotional scar that that might be. And and, you know, for her, It's really interesting what she says in verse 18. She says, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. While she's immediately blaming Elijah for that death, what she's really doing, and if you read between the lines, you can really see the guilt and shame that she's experiencing. She really is actually blaming herself for the death of her son. She's thinking that it's my sin that has caused him to die. So clearly the guilt of her sin has never really left her for this widow. And maybe that's a relatable feeling for you too this morning. That the guilt of your sin is making you feel like maybe this is the reason why my children seem to be struggling in school. Maybe this is the reason why a spouse left me. Maybe this is the reason why I'm experiencing death and loss. Maybe this is the reason why things aren't going my way in life right now because of my sin. What's interesting about Elijah's response to her is that he doesn't contend with her about the cause of the death of her son. In fact, he goes straight to the Lord in prayer. What he says is, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. 
So Elijah pleads to God for restoration. He pleads to God for this child's life. He pleads to God to restore this, chi this child to life and restore the widow's hopes and dreams. And Elijah knows that if God has placed him here, if God has brought him here, that God has a plan, that God is sovereign, and he will see to it that there is restoration, that there is going to be hope in this situation, even though it seems irreversible, even though it seems like such a major tragedy, God has a plan and God has a purpose and Elijah banks on it. Elijah prays that way. And verse 22 says, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came to him again and he revived and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. What God was demonstrating here is that it was never really about her sin. See, her sin was never really the cause of her son's death, yet it was the first thing that she went to because she felt like that was the case. But God was demonstrating to her that that wasn't the case. What God was doing here was not only restoring her hope, but also restoring her from her guilt and shame. God does the same thing for us today as well. When we put our faith in him, when we trust in him, God restores us from our guilt and shame. When we say to God, I am repentant of my sin, I am humbly bowing before you, knowing that you are the only one that can take these things away from me, that's when God steps in and removes that guilt and shame from our lives. Maybe you're feeling that guilt and shame this morning. Maybe you're feeling that there's something that you just can't confess. Maybe you're holding on to guilt and shame. Look, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Charles Stanley is famous for saying, When we fight our battles on our knees in prayer, we win every time. And so when we pray to God and ask him for that forgiveness, when we ask him to restore us from our guilt and shame, that's exactly what, we, what we're going to experience. That's exactly what he's going to do for us. When you say to God, I am a sinner. I repent of my sins. I choose to believe in God. I choose to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I am daily going to follow after you. That's when God steps in and restores us from our guilt and shame. Our final lesson this morning comes to us in the final verse, verse 24, where she responds to the miracle of her resurrected son. She says, And now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. It's curious that she only now acknowledges the truth of the words that are coming out of Elijah's mouth and the truth of who God is. See, what helps us understand that, that response a little bit better is context. Apparently, she isn't convinced by the bottomless uh, jar of flour or the bottomless jar of oil because she is actually residing in the heartland of Canaanite worship. If we think of the... Bible Belt in the southern United States, well, Zarephath would be that place for Canaanite religion. It would be the heartland of Baal worship. 
So many of us might be familiar with Baal, but what many of us aren't familiar with is his counterpart, Mot. In Canaanite mythology, Baal and Mot are locked in this eternal struggle, and when Baal has the upper hand, then there are seven years of prosperity, fertility, and good harvest. But when Mot wins, then there are seven years of infertility. There are seven years of death, famine, and drought. And with famine, drought, and death all around her, you could be, um, you, you can understand why she thinks that God isn't really God, it's Mot who's in control. But when God demonstrates that he is actually the God of life and death, that he has power over Mot, then and only then does she realize, oh, God is the real God, the God of Israel, the God that Elijah has been uh, talking about. He's actually the one true real God. When Elijah puts his faith in God, it has an additional effect. It brings about revelation of who he is. See, for this widow of Zarephath, she didn't know God. She was living in the heartland of Canaanite worship. Baal and Mot were all she knew. But when Elijah puts his faith in God, she now knows who God is. And it can be the same for us with our my four today. When we put our faith in God, when we live out that faith, and when we exercise our faith, when we trust in him, this helps us convey who God is to our my four. It helps reveal who God is to our my four. So maybe that's a step that you need to take with your my four today. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I've been trying all these different things. I've been praying for uh, my my four. I've been getting involved with their life. Well, now is the time to put your faith in God and take that step of inviting them. Put your faith in God and see how he will reveal himself to your my four. So maybe invite your my four to a starting point to Alpha. Maybe you have experienced something that is incredible in your life. Maybe you've experienced an incredible victory that only God could have delivered. Or maybe you're going through a struggle right now that you're having to put your faith in God and God is testing you. Share that in an encounter. There are so many ways that you can put your faith in God and he will reveal himself to those around you. When I was in university, uh, my fellowship and I, my church fellowship and I, we went on a camping trip as part of a retreat. And this wasn't just an ordinary camping trip. It was a camping trip where you don't just drive up and you're kind of glamping next to your car. We wanted to do the real experience, a real authentic camping experience. So we decided to rent this campsite that was across uh, kind of a, a lake on a bit of an island. But unbeknownst to us, Ryan, one of the guys who was joining us on this camping trip, had been to a Native American reserve a week before. And when he came home, he actually had, unbeknownst to him, a staph infection. So we discover the staph infection when we get across uh, to the island, after we've canoed across to the island, and we discover that, oh my goodness, Ryan, You've got this staph infection and not only is it on his hands, it's in like his elbow area, it's on the back of his knees, it's all over his eyelid, it's everywhere. He's got this staph infection everywhere and we really didn't know what to do about it. So 
by the time we, we, we realize, you know, this is more than we can handle. This is actually uh, a skin-eating bacteria that if we stay out in the woods for another few days, this could really have a bad effect on his uh, long-term health. Uh, it's already night. And I remember looking up at the sky and not being able to see the moon. In fact, it was so dark that when I walked up to the edge of the shoreline where, where the beach is and, and, and the water hits the beach, I couldn't even see the, the water. I couldn't see more than two feet in front of my, uh, in front of my face. So it's pitch black and we're nervous. The bunch of us, we're, we're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know how we're possibly gonna deal with Ryan in this moment. And we're thinking, are we gonna set out in the canoes in the pitch black and think like we're gonna magically go and find this little dock that's on the other side of the lake? There was no way because you know, it was so dark and we couldn't even see each other's faces when we were away from the fire. So the thing that we decided to do was get on our hands and knees in a group and we prayed. We prayed hard. We pray prayed for a, a good half hour about what to do. And after praying, I remember looking up in the sky and seeing that the clouds had parted and just a little bit of space, just enough for the moon to shine through. And with that moonlight, we were able to launch the canoes and get in the water. But but once we got in the water, we realized this dock is so small and it was hidden in, in between the trees that we couldn't see it. So we debated while we were in these canoes, you know, is it directly to the left of the moon or is it to the right of the moon? How do we find this dock? So we ended up just shooting straight for the moon and hoping for the best. And lo and behold, the dock was right under the moon. So we dock the canoes and we get to the cars, uh, which was actually a half an hour hike to the cars and in, in the pitch black still. And we get to the cars and we think to ourselves, all right, let's drive to the hospital. And who knows where the hospital is? Nobody knows where the hospital is. None of us knew where the hospital is. So we decided, you know what? We're just gonna start driving. We're gonna start driving out of the park. And this is at least 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And as we're driving out, the park rangers come and stop us and they're saying you know the park is closed and we say to them you know we we have a friend who really needs help right now he needs to go see somebody who can help him with his staph infection and they say well you know the hospital's down the street and you know, if, if you follow this road and such and such a road and you turn on such and such a road, then you'll find the hospital. And so we ended up doing that. And there was a nurse, just one nurse in a small rinky-dink hospital that was able to help him with his staph infection. And for me, that was one of the first times where I really didn't know what to do in my life, where I didn't know what steps I needed to take. And God really provided that little bit of moon and that park ranger in the middle of the forest when the park ranger's office was supposed to be closed and he's supposed to be off duty. I don't know where this guy came from, but he rolls up and he stopped us and helped us just in the nick of time. And God provided for me. When I put my faith in him, he restored us. He revealed himself to us and he provided us the relief from the situation that we needed. And he can do the same for you. And I'm sure that he's done the same for many of you where he's provided the relief that you needed, the revelation of himself to you, and also the restoration of who you are. 
So put your faith in God today and see how he will bring you relief from your struggle, how he will restore you from that guilt and shame, and how he will reveal himself not only to you, but to those around you. Let's pray. Father, God, you are so good. And Lord, you are so faithful to us today. And Father, when we put our faith in you, Lord, you bring us relief. Lord, you restore us. And Lord, you reveal yourself not only to us, but to those around us. So Father, we pray that Lord, you would continue to do this, that you would make a church, make Springvale a church that brings your name out to the nations. Father, Work in us so that we might be a church that seeks after you and your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.